off topic was not my favorite because I've talked about it so many times, but I figured as soon as you guys start talking about something, I'll get excited. So I'm happy to be here. Okay. Cool. I need to make you a moderator. Oh, okay. I need to make you a moderator too. Can you hear me? I can hear you now because you just got invited oh, up. Oh, nice. Okay. I just, it just popped up so I joined in. Nice. So when cool. we, when you're talking, you're going to, you can leave your mic off mute, but when you're not talking, if you mute yourself and then when you unmute yourself, we'll know that you have an interest in sharing or saying something. Okay. So that's the easiest way. And then if you want to clap or chime in that you, you're behind whatever's being said, you just flash your mute mic like this. And, and then we know that, oh, hey, this person is, is in agreement with what we're talking about. Hello, Monica. It's Monica. Hi, everyone. And let's see, Lorman. I don't know Lorman. Nice to have you aboard. Lorman's a good friend of mine. He is wonderful. Um, he actually asked me to join another um, group a few weeks ago. So um, I've known him for years. Really great guy. Awesome. So uh, do you want to mention anything about the group and what you guys are, are working on or talking about in that group? Um, it's a lot about divine masculine and I've only been there um, a few times now and just different questions and different um, perspectives on it. Like last week was the divine masculine. How can they serve in, in terms of um, service to the feminine and just everybody's perspective on that and I don't remember what the week before was, but um, another great, oh, toxic masculinity and just um, everything around that. Wow, that you know, that sounds exciting. I've never heard really of was. people, um, the divine masculine. I've always heard the divine feminine, and I always thought, why do we target that? But now that we're doing both sides, well, that just makes more sense to me. Yeah, I like that, too. Awesome. Of course, it's That's so why we targeted. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's, it's a balance. I think both are, you know, to really address divine feminine or divine masculine, I think both have to be addressed. And Norman, actually, I was actually thinking he might be a great addition to this group. He definitely will have a lot to share. Well, Monica, would you like to invite him up, please? Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. If you want to join the conversation, just raise your hand. We are recording. Are you recording this, Christine? I am. This does get recorded and shared on our website and podcast. So if you decide to speak, um, just know that that's what you're agreeing to. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hey there. Okay. So um, since Hello. I don't have a lot to say, I will just open the room. Today we're talking about Are You an Empath? And we're going to be exploring some of the concepts of what an empath is. We'd love you to share your stories with us. And when when we say something and you great, get a great aha, chime in and say, yes, that's me. Or, gosh, uh, I really want to know more about it. So we'll kind of go in that direction today. Um, I feel like we're all going to talk really fast and move really quick. I don't really think we're going to be slow today, which normally we're kind of mellow. But uh, I feel really hyper today. I don't know if everyone else does. Not me. I feel mellow. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I feel like I need to be stretching. <laughs> How about you, Sam? 
you know, I took the work day off today, and usually I'm in go mode, you know, after work and then sorting out Trinity, but since I took the day off and just sort of rambled around town in my truck, I'm actually kind of mellow. Ah, I'm the only hyper person in the group tonight? That's like a miracle. Wow. I think I'm going to go ahead and mellow myself out. Give me just a second. <laughs> yeah, I think that may be the space you're holding for us, Christine, because you and I are often on the opposite spectrum of things. And most of the time I'm like, okay, come on, let's go. La, 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 la. And Christine's like, I'm mellow. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And and if you want to think of that in, in connection to empath, uh, Laura and I um, over and over and over are opposites, even though we're so much alike. And I do find that when I tend to get hyper at these things, that she actually does get mellow now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, we've had recordings in the past where she was hyper, 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 and then the one week she wasn't, and I was hyper that week. And it, over time, you start to put it together. That being an empath also plays off in experiences like that. That um, when one of your friends are low, you'll find that your energy goes up higher. So you, if you have the desire to lift them up, I see Monica has an agreement with that. Go ahead, Monica. Um, I've been getting a lot of examples um, like that, exactly, um, with a friend of mine recently, and it's just been very funny. It's like, um, if, and especially when it comes to, you know, how did you sleep today? Well, we take turns holding the sleeping stick, so <laughs> one of us sleeps well, the other one doesn't. I've been having some trouble sleeping on and off um, over the winter. And, and it's just been kind of a funny little parallel where I, I noticed that with um, certain people. It's, so, it wow. gets a little bit funny at times. Yeah, that's really interesting. Samuel, did you flash your mic? I did, yeah. Now that I think about it upon reflection, my daughter and I trade off, I want almost want to say space. If I'm in a high-energy mood, um, it, I don't want to say it takes all the space for her to um, be herself and be hyper, but she'll generally be quieter. And then I'll become aware of it and sit back and just hold the space and just let her be exactly what she needs to be, especially in the household. So she feels like the house is hers. And um, I try to be aware of that kind of teeter totter of, of our energies and everything. It's pretty cool. That is interesting. And it also plays into another concept that I'd never connected to empathic abilities, but now that you're saying it, it makes perfect sense. So in a relationship, the balance between two people is always 100%. And when you give up some of your, um, your power or some of your behaviors, the other person has to fill the space. It's not, it's not even if they want to. So, Sam, you're thinking that when you're hyper, she withdraws. But what if when she withdraws, you actually become hyper? I'd agree with that completely. Absolutely. Right. And I think it trends into if I'm having a rougher day, like let's say my energy's off, um, it's abrasive, and I see her, that affects her as well. Um, and I know mm -hmm. that's common, but we're on the topic, so I thought I'd bring that one up too. Laura? Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I think um, I'm feeling the uh, inclination to dive really deep, deep into empath um, energies. And the way that I'm seeing the world right now is that actually everybody's an empath. The I way, agree. especially the way you're talking about it, with uh, how people hold 100% of uh, a relationship between people. Um, and most likely, the reason that we are empaths is because we want to feel connected and we want to not be alone 
in a singular experience. I agree. Um, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think to... I think it also expands into when you you pick something up from someone, but you don't necessarily know how to translate into what is that. And so you start to observe a person, and each time you have a feeling and they behave. Um, in a synchronistic way of that feeling, then you start to assign it to, oh, this means this. So that's why also over the years, your relationship with another person will deepen. And you think it's just because you've gotten to know them better. But I also think it's bigger than that because when I feel my partner um, anxious, I tend to uh, overreact. So that's one thing with me. And so over the years, as I started to feel this anxious feeling, I, re I recognized that I would overreact every time I felt that way, and I started to recognize that it tied into him feeling anxious about something. So now, instead of my overreacting, I get to slow down and say, oh, I know what this is. This is his anxious moment, and I'm going to be gentler with him so that he has space to share. Yeah, that happened with me yesterday. I woke up, and uh, my partner wasn't even anywhere near me, and I was like, okay, I'm feeling frustrated. And I'm like, wait a minute, am I really feeling frustrated? Is this my frustration? And I was like, no, I actually don't feel frustrated at all, but, but I really do because someone around me is frustrated. You don't even have to see them in action. You don't have to, you don't even have to see them at all to know what's yours and what's not yours. And I think that whenever we're an empath and especially with empathic abilities, one of our biggest hurdles is to figure out what actually is yours and what isn't. And Absolutely. I would say most of the time, most of the stuff we pick up is not ours even, but we claim it is ours. And then we beat ourselves up over it. We're like, well, that's just the way I am. You know, that makes perfect sense too. If you think about upon waking, how do you feel when you first wake up? And if you wake up with, like you said, feeling frustrated or with some kind of emotion if you didn't go to bed with that emotion, if you didn't have a dream to bring it up within you, then think about, you know, you start to try to assign meaning in your own life what this feeling is. But if you always wake up and you tell yourself when you wake up, the first thing you're going to do is balance to the truth of who you are, then when it is an empathic pressure, you just eliminate it by balancing to who you are. And the benefit of that is anyone that what you are feeling the empathic push from gets the feeling of your balance and you're now supporting them feeling better as well. So that's a definite plus when you're trying to recognize, is it me or is it not? Yeah, I agree with that too. Like, um, Christine and I were actually talking earlier today and for me personally, one of the best ways to solve any problem, whether it's empathic, health related, financial, it doesn't matter on what level it is. My go-to remedy for every single one of it it, every single problem that I have is to stop going outside of my body, pull all of my pieces back into myself, reaffirm who I am, and then move forward from there in the present moment. Yep. And I think when we're empathic, most, a lot of us, especially if we're highly sensitive in our bodies and things, I think we exist outside of our body quite a bit. We exist in the past, we exist in the present and the future at the same time. And we also are tending and overgiving with other people in our lives. Laura, can you real quick um, describe what pulling pieces back into yourself, what you meant by that, or describe that? So we're all multidimensional beings, and there is only the present moment, which is now. And any time that we feel like there is a moment outside of the now, 
it means that we're not actually living um, as the full, complete expression of who we are and the full being of who we are. And instead, we are fracturing ourselves. So, for instance, I can be standing here on the phone talking to you guys here in Clubroom and thinking about, oh, well, I have a family member that's doing this and it's bothering me. Or, you know, I know I know this person is suffering. I can be sitting here with you and having all kinds of other feelings and emotions and thoughts and my attention being somewhere else. That is a fractured personality right there. That's a fractured energy because I'm I'm in more than one place. And especially if I'm concentrating on pain and suffering, then I'm trapped most likely in the past and the future at the same time and using the past to predict the future. So I just pull myself out of that and understand that each moment is an opportunity for something new to happen. And as long as I hold that old pattern, I'm actually programming the matrix and what's expected to happen versus being like a child and observing and allowing things to happen anew. Ah, and you're talking about the child before we became pre-programmed. Because if you think about it, when we were children, I remember somebody telling me something that was going to be in the future and then feeling like, I can't wait till that moment gets here. And it took forever because I was out of my present moment trying to experience the future over and over and over and over. And even though time passes at a, a set pace, when we do that, it seems to pass slower and wear on us. And that's part of that. It's the drag from um, the energy that's separated, you know, how we're fractured into these pieces and you start to feel this drag. So that's one way to know when you're fractured is things pull on you. That's what that means, Sam, is you'll feel like, I'm over here, I'm over there. And so you personally, with Akita, Akito, sorry, have excellent ways to pull all those pieces back in. And I would like you to bring up some of that. That's a great point. Um, It's... It's much easier in Aikido to pull it all back in because if you don't, you're going to get smacked in the face. And who wants to get smacked in the face? Um, but what's great about it is th- the training is as you prepare with your partner and they're just going to give this simple strike. It's um, And then you as the receiver of it, when you, when you blend with it, the very first thing is we relax our bodies and breathe and exhale and then we move. It's like this triad of taking it all in and accepting it. Um, And the focus, of course, is on your opponent and your, we experience the energy of the attacker's movement before it happens. If you can imagine that, like you sense the buildup and here it comes and you're moving energetically yourself to blend with it before, uh, you know, a, a fist comes at you or anything. So and that not, is really a very strong empathic ability to be able to sense that. Yeah, it's um, absolutely, absolutely. After a while, uh, in, at first in my training, after a while, you know, it became people coming around the corners in grocery stores, things like that. Right, because um, you yeah. then learned what it feels like. That's what I was talking about before, um, is you're starting yeah. to feel that there's something coming because you've focused your attention and awareness on what does that feel like. And the more you repeat it, the more aware you become in all areas of your life. Yeah. And I also want to comment, though, it's not a sharp focus. It's more like how Laura described it, though. That that um, relaxation in accepting um, the attacker is soft. It's like a soft eye gaze. 
and it's very relaxed. There's nothing tense about it. And, and I think that's where the joy of the movement comes because you're just beginning to flow and there's so much harmony to it. And, um, it's a lot of happiness really for me. Well, if, if we think about it, if we're the full expression of who we are, our energy is expanding versus contracting. And if our energy is expanding, it's encompassing all of reality. It's a company. It's, it is already encompassing all moments of all time in all space and all dimension. So of course you're going to know where someone is and what's coming because it's going to be a natural phenomenon for you versus something supernatural and narrowed focused. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Let's go ahead and do a quick reset on the room. Um, as we ha Hello, Amber. Hello, Presley. We are talking about, are you an empath? And the way we're going about the conversation tonight is mentioning ways that we recognize our empathic abilities and how we connect to others. If you'd like to come up to share a story or to um, ask a question, just raise your hand. Thank you. And we are recording. We are recording the room, so just know that if you do participate, we are going to put this on our website and on a podcast. I'd like to make a comment if that's okay. Um, as far as how we relate to the world in an empathic way, uh, I like to go back to the old adage of, you know, it takes one to know one. And I think that's the whole definition of um uh, of being empathic in the sense that you have a sense of what someone's going through. And we know that through the commonality of the human experience, uh, that we're all human and that we have common experiences to do with the human condition. And from that standpoint, I think a lot of the empathy comes from um, the sense that, or the fact that rather, that uh, our external environment is a reflection of our internal environment. And uh, Christine, you mentioned um, circumstances where, you know, someone's anxiety might induce a negative reaction in yourself. Or sometimes, you know, what Samuel was saying about how when someone is, is more abrasive in their energy or bigger in their energy, we tend to digress. And I think those are very important mechanisms. Why? I'll explain. Now, if um, we tend to become the yin to someone else's yang, because the, the external environment is indeed a reflection of our internal environment, that's really showing self-compassion. That's moving aside for another aspect of us to exist. So it's an understanding of, oh, this might be a big aggressive energy, but I'm going to show compassion and allow it to express. And that is a reflection of an internal thing. Whereas in a situation where someone else's um, uh, uh, abrasiveness or bigness uh, causes a trigger in us and we become as abrasive, that to me, again, is a reflection of the internal world. And it's about that piece of us that we don't uh, we don't approve of, and we it's not so much we're getting frustrated at that person, but we're really getting frustrated at ourselves because we don't approve of that piece. So in so many ways, this empathy, as much as there is a psychism to it, it is also um, um, uh, is how we relate to ourselves through other people. 
um, any comments, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I love what you had to say, especially it takes one to know one. And if you look at that, it is seriously how it feels. We are all one. It takes one to know one. I just love that. So <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. You also brought up a point about um, what we find in others when we feel the frustrations. That's about something inside of us. And I consider that more of a mirroring for awareness than of an empathic um, ex experience. So I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that. Because for me, when I would see somebody acting a certain way and I started to get irritated with them, and then I realized, oh, that's a reflection of something that I don't like in me. Let me look at that and work on that. And then that, that irritation would go away. And for me, my empathic things continue um, much longer than just dealing with something that I see. So do you have more information for me on that? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, I, I think you're right. It is a, it is definitely a reflection uh, of what you're saying. But I think what it is I'm trying to get across is that, uh, you, you know, the definition of empathy um, can be, I guess, in my mind anyway, my own personal definition has arisen from a contrast. So what is something that's like empathy, but not exactly? Um, well, take the example of sympathy. You can sympathize with someone, meaning, oh, I can, um, and I, I know we're using empathy here in, in, in very psychic terms as well, but let's digress for a little bit and, and see this contrast here where with sympathy, you're more of reaching out and you're saying, okay, in this situation of yours that I may not have an internal compass about, but I can see how I may understand. Whereas empathy is, I know exactly how it is, how it is to be in your shoes. So in so many ways that um, precludes a reflection. It has to be because it has to come from a very deep core personal experience for one to be empathic in that way. And then you can throw in all the psychism and sort of resonance uh, that, that a situation may naturally have and they'll still hold true. But um, I don't know, does that answer your question, Christine? Oh, yeah, that was excellent. And I actually want to move even further into what you said because when I become a sympathetic empath, then my whole experience changes as well. So I can move into the empathy of um, wanting to feel what the other person feels, realizing I don't actually relate to what they feel, but then I dive even dim deeper and I become sympathetic, which is I want them to feel better on top of the fact that I want to feel and understand where they're coming from. And then when they leave the conversation, I will feel worse and they will feel better. And that is an even further extension of a sympathetic empath versus just a compassionate empath where I can relate to them, I can understand them, I can show them that I understand, but we'll both leave the conversation feeling better instead of me feeling worse. Well said. I like the breakdown of this. Thank you. Both, both of you, that was a really good... Uh, you did good with your words. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and thank Christine. Thank you. Awesome, no problem. Now, uh, I see Phoenix has joined us, and um, hello, Phoenix. And then uh, let's uh oh, see. Uh, is it just me or is Christine breaking up? 
she's breaking up with me. Yeah, she's breaking up. Hi, Phoenix. Phoenix is here. I think we, Christine may still be talking. I'm not really sure, but Phoenix, um, would you like to say anything? Welcome to the conversation. Hey, thanks. Um, th this is a really great topic for me because I've always been slightly confused um, about what, you know, the, the differences between empathy and then empath has been confusing for me. Um, so that, uh, Lauren, that, that explanation between, between you and Christine is just so fantastic and helpful because it's, I've never quite understood. Um, but, and Christine, you described the, uh, that last part where you went deep, the deepest with the, uh, sympathetic em empath, I think. Yes. And I have experienced that probably like three or four or five times maybe in my life that I can recall and they were significant you know sort of events for me where I ended up feeling what the other person was what the other person was feeling and uh how do I describe it like I took on their emotions and so and I'm you know literally crying with them and I'm like wow this is really different for me and then they walk, you know, we, we finished talking or, or whatever, and, and they walked away, and they were completely changed. They were, like, feeling so much better. They were ready to get on with their life or their, or, or their day. Um, and I was stuck in that, in that frequency or that emotion for, like, a week, you know, around a week, and just couldn't get out of it. And I, you know, so I really like that you were able to to explain that the way that you did, because that was a, it's a, that's scary for me to, to, to do that, to go that deeply. So this is a really good conversation for me to be uh, learning about right now. Okay, I think Christine has something to say, but it seems like maybe her phone is messing up. Christine, um, can you try to talk? Yeah, I can talk now. Every time the red poor signal pops up, oh. I'm, I won't talk during can, those. Are you, are you able to move to a different location? Mm. Yeah, but I'm going to have to walk through noisy children to get there, so <laughs> I'll mute myself while I go. So, yeah, so I'll, I'll continue with this part of the conversation. The difference between empath and empathy, the way that I experience it is um, an empath, as an empath, I felt like I didn't have a choice to feel other people's stuff. But whenever I had empathy for someone, I felt like I made the choice to resonate with them no or signal. you know, they pay attention in a compassionate way. As an empath, I would walk into the room and pick up the energies and they, I would just get floored. Now, the same thing as what Lorman was saying, if those resonances didn't automatically and already exist within me, I would not have been able to interpret them the way I interpreted them. So my job or my journey as an empath has been to redefine what those energies mean and to become more aware whenever I step into a room and pick something up to realize, you know, even though we're all one, we're all having individual and singular experiences, 
and I get to choose which experiences I have and claim as my own. So as an empath now, whenever I go into a room and pick something up, and if it doesn't feel good, I can just say, well, that's not mine. I can let it go. You know, and it's more than just saying it. It's, it's actually, there's a place, there's a time when we learn how to embody and disembody frequencies and information and feelings and, and these empathic tendencies. So I used to go around embodying everything, and then I learned how to not take it on and how to let it go. So, Christine, are you back? Can you talk now? I know you had something to say. I'm here, but it still says poor connection for me. I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> so many things. Um, I don't remember where I was going, but we can take the next step where one of the things you can do when you're feeling these connections is you can question the feeling. So, for instance, when I was younger, I would tell my dad, I'm feeling this way. And he assumed that it was because... I didn't understand myself that I didn't know why I was feeling that way. And he would say, well, try to find what it is. And I know that as an empath, when you feel something, you can always find a reason to be experiencing it. So if you feel something as uncomfortable or something as destructive or something as sad, you can find something in yourself that resonates with that. Um, but it doesn't actually help you as an empath to find your own resonance with an external emotion or feeling that you're picking up. And that's why now, as a grown-up, when I realize that this doesn't feel good, I don't try to dive deeper into figuring out why it doesn't feel good. I first say, um, I'm going to stop, like Laura's already spoken about, what Sam has already spoken about, is I'm going to stop, I'm going to feel myself, I'm going to get back to a good place. When I'm in balance with myself, then I'm going to take the time and the energy to look at, okay, is there anything there that is actually mine that I need to work on, that I need to look at, that I need to confront? Or was I just picking up something that brought up old parts of myself? And then I can look back and say, okay, well, if I have resonance, then it's still in my body. And as an empath, you cannot live a life connected to these resonances. So you have to then do the extra work to release yourself from having these um, stored information in your body that will then trigger you as an empath to feel things that are not actually yours. Hey, um, I just want to ask Angela and Presley if they have anything to say. And Dawn, um, Dawn, I know that you have, ex I don't know if you have empathic experiences, but I, I think that you probably do. If you want to share anything, feel free to speak up. We'd love to hear yeah. you. Yeah. Well, you know, the word is, is sort of new to me. And I look at my entire life and never thought of myself as an empath. Or I thought, I thought what I was perceiving is other people's identity. Um, I still sense that to a degree that is their energy I sense uh, it dominates me um, when I allow it to and that, I mean that was that was the theme of both my marriages frankly whatever whatever moods my wife's are in um, wow I really couldn't avoid it I, I it'd just be in the same house I could be on a different floor and still and still sense it um 
depends on uh, on the time. I, I had degrees of sensitivity where I just uh, would walk down the street and I, I could pick out the major mood of uh, each person that passed me, whether it was sad or happy or content or there would be one predominant uh, sense that would come to me on that person. It was almost unavoidable. Um, on the negative side is uh, I've never learned to control it. And if I'm in a room with uh, with a very negative person, it overcomes me. Um, just over, it, it'll dominate all of my thoughts. Uh, I, I can't avoid a negative person. Um, just takes my attention. Thank you for sharing. I have some of the same experiences as you. Like when I'm in a relationship, um, the people that I am that I live with, or one person, or however many it is, I I have had that same issue where it's like, why am I feeling like this today? And then you get inside and you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> How do I change this? And sometimes I literally had to leave to change. You know, that is actually a really good point, you guys, that when you are feeling this and you're in somebody's space, for myself, I just say, oh, you know what? It's time to run an errand because I need to get away in order to get back to the feeling of myself. And once I'm there and I'm stronger, then perhaps I can come back in the space. Or perhaps I go in the space and I just recognize it's not me. And it's kind of like when you have the flu. You know the flu's not you, but you just know you're going to be okay and you just feel the feeling of being sick for a bit. Sometimes I just deal with things that way because it's the only thing I can do in that moment. I found that getting out in nature helps a lot too because if I just leave the house to go back to another populated area, then I'm picking up all that other stuff too. So, like, I'll go for a hike or I'll go somewhere out in nature. And usually that's, for me, more supportive than going to another place where there's people where I can pick up more stuff. I wish we had uh, some of the musical people to talk about that shift that you just mentioned, Laura. Because um, I'll use, now that I think about it, I'll use music to shift my mood. And like Dawn, I don't necessarily get impacted by uh, when people are negative. I feel like I can keep an awareness of that. But if it's um, like a high anger, and uh, yeah, like a high anger, then that's something uh, that I immediately over-focus on that uh, I've actually been trying to bring awareness to recently. Yeah, that was what I intended. That was, that's just exactly what I intended to, not just negative, but probably violent, potentially violent. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that agree beyond negative. Mm -hmm. I also think, too, there's different kinds of empaths. There's empaths that pick up feelings and emotions. And there's empaths also that pick up emotions, feelings, and bodily functions, you know, like illnesses, and then, you know, other degrees more. So I'd like to expand on that, but first, I, I noticed that Monica, have you, do you have something to say? <laughs> so, so, so very much. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, uh, oh God, something Laura, you just said, and I just uh, blanked. Okay, so going out into crowds going out into um i think okay so i'll just start with um like my definition my personal definition slash understanding of empath it's like i i do believe everybody has um you know we're all tuned into the same frequency whether we just pay attention to it or focus on it um 
and and we can all we all have sensitivity and awareness and some emotional um, awareness or intelligence or empathic ability to be aware um, of how others feel. It's like you know they do all these tests of like you see somebody hurt and everybody around has like a physical or emotional reaction. Like nobody likes to see anybody else get hurt. It's just um, but anyhow. But my personal definition of what I call like a true empath is is when you, when you pick up others feelings as if they are your own as in you cannot always differentiate between your own and the others like um somebody was saying that example when you know you see someone crying in front of you and it's like you you just start crying with them because it's like you it's I, I don't want to get caught up on the words between like sympathy and empathy because I've heard everybody define them um, a little differently and then I've heard people define it the opposite of what I think um, somebody here defined it as but then um, where you know you can have sympathy and compassion for a person but then the empathy would be and again I don't want to get um, caught up in, in like the words themselves but the idea is you, you feel for someone's pain and you feel sad for them but it's different to feel their pain as if it is your own. And it's like, you don't always even have to know what's going on. You just suddenly get this shock and this wave of emotion and it's, and you just suddenly want to cry. And it's like, what is going on? Where's this coming from? And sometimes you can have enough experience or enough awareness or, you know, everything else calm or balanced enough where you're able to recognize, Oh, this isn't mine. I wasn't feeling this a moment ago. I was completely happy. And then something made me suddenly um feel very sad or or this this anger that is not coming from me and so sometimes i find that for me going into a different crowd of people like somewhere where there's maybe other people can also be different where um sometimes it's too much but i find in those situations there's no personal entanglement so it's like a neat tidy exterior very messy chaotic painting but it's ex external there's no personal um entanglement so for me it doesn't always bother me and sometimes it's actually a nice um break and, and i can enjoy that um as much as going into a quiet space but then sometimes i really do need that quiet space so i have an example um unless you want to add something christine i have an example that i've shared before oh go ahead with your example and then i'll, then I'll continue okay. it after that Okay, so the first time I very consciously realized, um, without knowing anything about empathic or having heard of this kind of concept at all, because growing up, there was not always the deepest level of emotional, um, you know, openness and, and um, like emotional awareness um, surrounding me. So um, I remember I was, I just turned 14. I was, um, I just started high school and I, I was standing with a group of people, like a small little circle of, I don't know how many, maybe five or seven. I think, I think I've shared this in this group before. And everybody was just, you know, very happy and um, joking around and everything's completely fine and calm. And then one more person approaches us, another friend, and then suddenly this wave of uh, frustration and, and anger just came. And I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not me. But um, I realized this, you know, I started saying out of nowhere, um, I started talking about, you know, just out of nowhere, I started saying, you know, some people can be so inconsiderate. And I hate when people are so thoughtless and inconsiderate. And 
then I'm thinking, I'm like, where, wait, why am I saying this? This, where's this coming from? This isn't me. This isn't mine. And then the friend that just walked into the group, um, chimed in and said, you know, he was just talking to this other very inconsiderate, rude, thoughtless person that was just being so rude and said some terrible things. And I'm like, oh, that, that was him. Hmm. Okay, that's not me. That was from him. That's okay. Now it makes sense. And it completely left me and I was completely fine. Ah. And um, yes, sometimes it like acknowledging it is what gets rid of it, right? Just that awareness, sometimes just being aware. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Poof, it's gone. And I'm completely back to, you know, happy, happy. And um, this, this emotion just suddenly completely clearly. But you know, when we get overwhelmed and there's too many things going on around us it can become more difficult to differentiate and keep clearing it out and um like phoenix phoenix mentioned that example of um taking on someone's energy i am so guilty of that i've been doing that for far too long where it's like an energy exchange it's like especially if i see somebody around me close to me suffering like um my mom you know she had a hard life her parents died when she was younger um, she had cancer and like, there was always something and I would just put so much of my, my invest so much of my personal energy. And I would say my life force energy that I would keep pour, pouring into her and depleting myself to try to help her and fix the situation, not realizing that, Hey, you know what? This isn't helping her. This is not going to change. Um, you know, this isn't a one-time pick me up. This is just not going to change with her and I'm just draining myself and this is actually not a sustainable way to go about things and so um but it just kind of became a default with me so I've had to learn how to sort of step back and keep that balance and and realize you know what you you can't um and like that's what Laura was talking about the pieces of yourself to bring everything back in Mm-hmm. It's like I felt like I was doing an energy exchange where I kept giving pieces of my life force energy to people I was close with and 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 just wearing myself so thin where I started having physical health problems. Right. That's Kristen, go ahead. That's really a good way to look at it too is when you do give away too much of yourself, you will start to become symptomatic in other ways. And this brings yes. us back to what I wanted to expand on that Laura had said earlier, which is the different kinds of empaths. Now, I agree completely that there are many different ways to be an empath, but what we didn't cover is how does that happen? And I want to make that clear to people. When you start to realize what kind of empath you are, you're going to also recognize that there's a need in your life. So, for instance, as a child, if you were often caught off guard, you're likely to to develop the empath skill that lets you know when a surprise is coming, that lets you hear people's thoughts so that they can no longer surprise you, that lets you feel people around the corner so that they can't jump out and say, boo. And I recognize that in my own life that when I... When I first got married, my husband at the time loved to go make these little rat noises and I would scream like a banshee every time because it scared me so much. And I don't have any rat experiences or anything, but his intention was to scare me and I would pick up on that and I would become scared. Well, after a while, I again, I could recognize the feeling of him on the floor versus something just you know, catching me off guard. And so whenever I would feel him on the floor, he could make all the noise he wanted. It didn't catch me off guard. I just laughed at it. So uh, you develop a skill, an empathic skill 
to meet a need in your life. And if you're feeling people's personal pain, then you either have um, a desire to avoid pain, so you feel it, and you recognize it so you can avoid it, or maybe you're so helpful, like you were saying, Monica, where you just want to help somebody so much that you're going to feel their pain so that you can give them something to help them not have to have it. Yes, and I'd like to add to that. Um, that was actually one note I had made while um, earlier in the conversation that um, exactly what you just said, um, I would just um, add in one more thing there maybe that um, depending on like the upbringing that we would lean into our, um, let's say into our sensitivity to other people's feelings um, more so, like we would... Um, lean into whatever our natural abilities are. So some people may have that um, as a gift more so. And and if that need arised, they they lean into it much more so than, than let's say in some other people might. Like if you grow up in like an abusive upbringing, you you become very good at predicting other people's emotions and reading people Mm -hmm. and reading them. And, you know, it becomes like a, a need or a survival tactic and um oh my gosh like you just have unstable emotionally unstable parents you become very good at really reading minute by minute by minute because one minute everything's fine the next minute things can drastically change and you're sort of ready to jump at any given moment as opposed to being caught off surprise by surprise sorry go ahead no i you just triggered something in me that i think happened to me thank you for this i've been looking for this missing piece like my whole life the other i think what i did personally when i when i developed my empathic abilities was i was trying to protect other people as opposed to me being surprised myself i was trying to put a shield around everyone else and say i'll take the pain you relax i got you i think there's something more though what is what what do you have more because i just made this realization so i don't see it probably as clearly as you do <laughs> um but what benefit would that give you so that so there's more to the reason you develop it is you're going to get a benefit so how does that make your life better to be able to protect people so that we don't have to watch other people in pain one of the things that that i don't enjoy is watching people suffer um, I want to add to that here. Um, I, I had the same thing. I, I wanted um, to help everybody around me as well because, um, and this is something that I would definitely see with with you, Laura, um, that we, we genuinely don't want anybody to suffer. And then, like, I, I've noticed, you know, there, there's people who are unable to do this separation um, mentality where, you know, I'm me and you are you. It's like, well, if one person is suffering, then it breaks down the whole unit. How can, how can we move forward if, if this person is suffering? It's like, you see only the oneness. Mm, interesting. It's like you, you know, the, there's no weakest link. We have to fix it because exactly. the whole, there's no, there's no like, you know, working functional chain with, with a with a weakest link, we have to fix it. We have to help it. We have to heal it by making it feel better and making sure that everybody is okay. Because we really are all one. And and you know, I think that there's like 
there are people who, who really are unable to disconnect from that. And that was part of my thing. Like for, for me, I asked for that ability to be brought in for many years because around me, I saw so much suffering and I thought, you know what, if I can take it away from them, it's okay. So long as they feel better, because all I did was just love them. And I didn't want to see them suffering in any way. And, and this is where, as a kid, I don't remember how old I was, but I started doing Reiki on my dad because his back was hurting. And I understood, okay, I don't remember how old I was, but I understood enough that, okay, well, he has to work and he has back issues. And so it's very hard for him and very painful for him. So I started doing back massages, but it wasn't really, but it wasn't really a back massage because I was tiny. What was I really going to do? But I, I focused so deeply into the into the back, into the muscles, that looking back and having come to understand what Reiki is, I'm like, wait, I'm gonna. I was doing energy work on him. Right, um, Don. I I saw that you'd unmuted for a minute. Did you want to add to this? Well, I love that part about uh, protecting others, and that the motivation for um, empathy was that was protection. Uh, that's a guy thing for sure, too. And, uh, you know, we're not big on feelings, but you sure can't avoid the ones that you do get. And um, and that was always, that's always seemed predominant with me as well. It was about protecting the people around me you know, who was closest to me. Or who, I'm not just protecting them. It was uh, appeasing them or satisfying them or, or pleasing them, keeping them happy, noticing that they had a need. Um, and I never felt any real benefit from it. It seemed more of a curse to me uh, than than I, I just never felt any benefit from it. Wow, that's that's big. That's a big realization. Yeah, I you know I mean that's from a guy's perspective. Um, I guess um, it. It's an unnatural. It's unnatural for us to be that sensitive. Um, it's certainly not something you talk to your buddies about. <laughs> you know, it's funny you talk about that. It's a, a masculine thing to do because when I was little, a little girl, I felt more masculine than I did feminine at the time, and I was so mad that I was born a girl, and I was very, very protective. And I have a twin sister that felt like we didn't have any separation at all. And, um, and I think that that could be another reason that I became more of an empath is because I was protecting her, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I never tried to understand it. it. It's like so many other things that happen to you in life. You almost take it as, as natural. It's just a natural state. We don't, I don't know how many, of us really questioned much of what happened when we were young. Uh, we pretty much accepted it. We might have thought we were just a little unusual, but um, I, as a guy, we, you know, I never talked about my imagination. I never talked about astral projection, flying up into the universe every <laughs> night. I just thought this is what everybody did. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because a lot of us have mentioned that in the past too, that we made the assumption that we all had the same experiences only to find out that we are, we might be unique in one or two of these in comparison to others. And another thing I want to bring back to bring this around, cause we're, we're getting close to the hour. 
And I just want to bring up that we've mentioned the the two types of moving into the empathic. We've mentioned it doing it through beta, and we've mentioned doing it through alpha. And for me, I don't think either of those changes whether I'm an empath or not. The first one, if I do it through beta, I'm using something outside. Like I walk in a room and everybody faces, faces are turned down. My next step isn't to assume the problem. My next step is, oh, there's something different in this room. My empathic skills click on because I notice visually something is different. So that's one way. And then we had what Monica brought up where if I feel it without anything triggering me, that's it. But the thing is, we're always in those deeper brain waves. We're just not always bringing them to the forefront. So we have a lot of empaths that are only allowing the visual triggers to make them open up to being empathic. And then we have those that are, that are doing it, it appears to be more intuitive, where it's being brought from the inside out versus the outside in. I still think they're both the same. It's just which one is more comfortable for a person. Well, I don't. I don't feel comfortable with it, but I think I'm the second one because, like, um, I enter into a room, nobody can be in the room, and I pick up their health problems. I, you know, if they have vertigo, I have vertigo. If they're in a bad mood, I'm in a bad mood. Um, mm-hmm. Physical and emotional, both. But it's not comfortable. <laughs> so can you explain that more, please? Yes, I didn't mean comfortable as in you enjoy it. It's comfortable in a method of safety for yourself. So you feel very safe if you know more about a space or about a person because you can trust what you know versus what people share on the surface. Oh, yes, that's totally true. That is completely true. Yes. Yep. I can go into a room and people can be lying to my face and my logical mind will believe them. But something inside of me will be like, I call BS on that. Be careful of that person. And I think that's, again, we can just look at it as being intuitive. But if we look at the empath skill is always there, why would you call BS if you weren't picking something else up? And it could be a small micro motion in their body language that, again, triggers you to look for something more than they're sharing. Um, It could just be the feeling in your body that you already recognize what this, like what lying feels like, you recognize that, etc., or it can be going into a dangerous space because that could be part of it too. And why, like for me, I don't have to see anyone. The person can be gone. Mm-hmm. Like I, I told you about the time my, and when I was in Chinese medicine school, my teacher brought me into five different treatment rooms and asked me what I felt. And I told him, and then he got the charts of each patient and it was identical to what I had felt in each room. Right. So I think too, if we, if we feel unsafe in the world, maybe we can develop this ability so that before we even go into a space, we can decide if we want to go in or out or stay out. That sounds very accurate, actually. So I do believe, uh, again, the the depth of our skills as impasse has a lot to do with whether we feel safe, whether we can trust ourselves. So when we talk about, you know, we take on everybody else's things, we tend to do that if we can't trust ourselves to limit um, our ability to give. So an overgiver will have a higher em- empathy level when it comes. I know Monica totally relates to this because a, a lifelong overgiver, you'll be much more empathetic and it's also harder for you to turn it off. So an overgiver has a harder time separating. Yep, see, Laura agrees with that one too. 
And I keep thinking, Samuel, that you have something to say. And I can feel you too, Phoenix, but I, I feel you as wanting to stay quiet. But I still feel you as ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, when you mentioned the subtle body language, I, I just can't uh, reinforce how powerful it is. Um, and I wanted to bring it back to an Aikido uh, practice we used to do where we would just sort of like rest a hand on a partner's, and it was just a partner practice, like rest a hand on a partner's forearm. And everybody would just be relaxed, um, uh, the person who's touching and the person who's receiving the touch, like on the forearm. And it replicates, let's say, a same side grab where like maybe somebody's trying to grab your purse on your forearm, right? Mm -hmm. And then the attacker would just take a finger and like press aggressively as subtly as possible, but with an aggressive mindset and aggressive intent mm -hmm. that that isn't distributed with the finger into the body and and you could be smiling at each other and almost immediately uh this the the fight or flight in the other person would just you know sound the alarm and the body would tense and everything and um as healers i think going in with that sense of relaxation to calm our calm our people, calm our people that we don't want to be frowning, mm -hmm. um, and understanding where our relaxation level is, it gets picked up on, is my opinion and my experience. Um, and somebody mentioned protecting people so that they can relax, and I think that's part of helping people remove the suffering is if we're more relaxed and in our space and in our authentic self, we naturally kind of you know, ooze relaxation to other people if they're receptive to it, and especially through body language. Nice. I think, unless anyone else has something else they want to bring up, I think that's the perfect way to end today's call. Very well said. Wow. Well, I really appreciate all of you, and um, we need some good ideas for the next few weeks coming up. So if you would like to go to newearthnetwork.club, and give us some suggestions of what it is you want to talk about, what it is you want to dive deeper into, or just share an experience with us that you've had, and then we can just take it from there. We are um, looking to fill the next month's calendar, and it's been great. We've enjoyed this last couple weeks, and I really appreciate everyone. Appreciate you all, too. It's awesome. Thanks a lot. Yay! Good night, everyone. This was great as always. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Well done, everyone.